0: Amen. Thank you, Luke. And uh, as he's just said, my name is Alan. I'm the uh, Baptist minister here. And uh, it is my great privilege uh, to be speaking to you on uh, Eco Church Sunday. It is both a privilege, but also something that I do with great fear and trepidation. Um, As I uh, was asked to, to speak today, I did think about my Eco credentials And I did think about last year's speaker of Mark Powley, who's a theologian and has been involved in uh, a Church of England um, uh, campaign, the Climate uh, Church Toolkit. Uh, in order to help churches to uh, engage with, um, with the climate crisis. Uh, and so it is with fear and trepidation that I stand before you, uh, not feeling wonderfully qualified. But as I have looked at my credentials, um, I, I, I'm, I'm doing okay. Some of those things have been forced upon me, um, and some of those things I have done willingly. But my qualifications, I recycle, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. I can't believe I got a round of applause for that, but thank you. Um, I have, uh, we have turned the heating down in our house. Don't cheer, thank you. Thanks. Stop it. Um, partly uh, that is uh, because of the climate crisis, but also because of the um, economics at the moment it is really expensive to have the heating on. So it's only been this last week that we turned the heating on. Um, I have started taking our garden waste to uh, the uh, recycling centre, uh, which is a great thing to do. I did buy an incinerator because it was a cleaner burn, um, but that caused some issues with a neighbour earlier in the year as billows of smoke uh, went over into their garden. And so we now have bought some green sacks and uh, we are taking stuff to uh, to the um, local recycling centre. Um, Faith, our daughter, has instigated meat-free Mondays. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, And uh, that's uh, that's a wonderful thing during university term time. But when the boys come back, we have a regular fight on Mondays as to whether or not we can still have meat-free Mondays. But don't tell them. I've also reduced the amount of meat that we eat and other meals. So they don't know about that one, so they're not kicking against that at the moment. Um, I have looked into replacing our diesel car, so much so that anytime time I'm on any social media, I am bombarded by adverts for electric cars. There are some really nice cars out of there, but they are all out of our price range at this moment in time. Um, we have in uh, our garden, we have a wild flower meadow. The first year that we planted that, it looked beautiful. It now just looks like a really unkempt area of our garden. We have a bee house that is still awaiting tenants. It had one tenant, a bird tried to remove said bee from, uh, from its place. And uh, so it's, it's got a little for rent sign on the top. Um, we haven't opened it to check. And uh, as you will know from seeing me on stage or on screen, uh, over the years, um, we do have a, uh, a penchant for, uh, for the local charity shops, which is where I am mostly dressed from. And uh, that is a place that my wife ensures me is where she meets with the Lord. I think she's just shopping on the cheap. But they are my eco-credentials. So as I stand here on the stage, I am not here to preach at you. Um, But to get down in the trenches with you and look at this topic together. And I must admit that um, as somebody that has led in the church for many years, when the whole eco-church thing became more and more popular, there was for me, there's other things that we need to be doing here in the city. And so I thought, is it a bit of an add-on? Because as I look at the scriptures, Jesus doesn't talk about climate change. He doesn't talk about rising sea levels, pollution, deforestation, single-use plastics. Surely Jesus himself had other priorities. But as I've wrestled with this more and more, and as I've particularly looked to come on the back of last year's uh, launch of Eco Church stuff here, I've discovered that actually caring for our planet is not an add-on, but it is fundamental to who we are as Christians, as followers of Jesus, there is no escaping it from the um, from the Scriptures. It is at the heart of who we are as sons and daughters of the of our King. An illustration: Has anyone here ever bought a house? Anyone bought a house? Yep, quite a lot of us. Very good. Um, Or, if you've not bought a house, have you ever had a long-term colleague at work and then gone around to their house and gone, oh, as you had a little look behind their closed doors? You may remember, if you are old like me or older, that once upon a time that there was a television program on uh, on the television, believe it or not, uh, called Through the Keyhole, where film crews would turn up. at uh, at a famous person's house and uh, they would go around and they would film and you would look and see the decorations and the artefacts and the pictures on the wall and there would be a panel trying to determine who lived here, yeah? Anybody, Anybody know that? If you're over 40, I would imagine that you would at least know it if you're under 40. Have you ever bought a house or been and looked around a house because you probably don't know that picture? But certainly, as we have uh, bought houses, um, and even when we've not, it's just fun to go around to see other people's places and how they live, isn't it? There's something about a little window into who they are. And we've looked at loads of houses around Sheffield, and we have seen into some very fun and strange and unusual houses and homes. And when we have bought houses, Uh, We've been around and we've seen and there have been times when the owners have been out and we've been shown around by the estate agents and any time that we've had an offer accepted we have then gone back um, specifically one to go and have another look but also to meet the owners of the house exchange your phone number so that we can make that process smoother should there be any problems and there are times when we've been and we've seen and we've fallen in love with houses and then we've looked through the keyhole and not only seen the artefacts But we have met the people that live there. And again, it just gives a whole different spin, a whole different atmosphere to the houses that you look at when you consider who lives here. Psalm 19, verse 1 says this The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And as we consider my illustration, this is God's creation. This is his home. This is what he has decorated and spilled out with all his creative energy. I don't know about you, what what is, where and when those moments are where you stand in awe of the vastness and the beauty of it all. Whether it's when you stand on a beach and you look out across the vast expanse of ocean. Whether it's when it's a beautifully dark and clear night and you look up into the skies and you see the heavenly array of stars spread out before you. Uh, Whether it's when you stand on the bowl hills just as the sun is going down and there is a majestic beauty that unfolds before you. For us as a family, it's lakes and mountains and there is a particular place. Um, just in Switzerland, just above a little place called Unterwasser, uh, we were encouraged by some of our, um, our Swiss friends to take the cable car up. So we took the cable car up uh, to about 3,500 uh, metres. And there before us was this beautiful, beautiful meadow, this plain on the top of this mountain. And the valley that we'd just come up from was beautiful. But as we looked over the other side, unspoiled, turquoise, green lake stunning mountains it was just a moment that just took my breath away it was beautiful or maybe God's creation you might also not just look at the vistas but you might look at the intricate detail a leaf that's fallen from a tree the beetles the creatures that you see all around you Or maybe You've had the privilege of holding a newborn baby in your arms and just wondered at the beauty and the majesty of it all. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. It is a window into the divine. It is a window into who God is, and it's a beautiful thing. But then today we also have to look through the keyhole and ask who lives here. Temperatures are rising, severe storms, the floods in Pakistan that we've already mentioned where a third, a third of the country has been underwater. So do check out our giving page and do give to the tier fund campaign um, to raise funds for that humanitarian need there's increased drought, and we may be familiar with pictures on our screens across the Horn of Africa. It is the driest and hottest time and season in Ethiopia, Kenya, across the Horn of Africa um, for, uh, since records began. Three seasons they've had little to no rain, and 20 million people are on, uh, on the brink of acute water shortages and severe hunger. And we can't just look to Africa this summer across Europe. It is the hottest and driest period for 500 years. Wildfires, reducing crop yields impacting electricity generation right on our doorstep. Rising sea levels, and there are more tropical cyclones. Once upon a time, it was once a decade where there would be a big tropical storm that came inland and caused damage. Now there are multiple cyclones each year. There's loss of species, both plant and animal, as they struggle to adapt to the changing uh, climate, uh, the extreme weather, Invasive pests and diseases, and forest fires that are destroying entire habitats, and famine, global hunger, poor nutrition, and it's not just that crops are failing, but governments, uh, countries, as they're trying to uh, trying to um, alleviate suffering and provide enough food, they're diverting funds away from education away from healthcare, and away from further development in those countries. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And then we look through the window and we ask, who lives here? And it's no wonder as we read the scriptures, Romans 8, 19 to 21 says this, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in the hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. It was never meant to be like this. You see, right at the beginning, God, we hear the story of the way that God created the heavens and the earth. And after he'd been through a period of creation, he looked at what he made. Genesis 1 verse 31, and he saw that it was good, not just good. He saw that it was very, very good. And in that same story, it talks about who we are as his children. He created humans, man and woman. He created mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule. And the Hebrew word for image means uh, is the same word that is used throughout the Old Testament um, for idol, something created that is worthy of worship, something created that is set above. In our image, In God's image and in God's likeness. And his likeness, again, the the word in Hebrew is uh, a representation of God himself. Created in his image and in his likeness to represent him to the rest of creation. That we are his ambassadors on the planet. That we are sent to rule and reflect something of who he is, his majesty, his glory into the world. And not only does he create us in his image and his likeness, but he creates us with a purpose, to rule, yes. Verse 28 of Genesis 1 says that we are to fill the earth and to subdue it, to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, to subdue, this is a word that has been used over the years to justify humanity's exploitation of the planet, to have dominion over. But if you look a little bit deeper, to subdue means, yes, to bring under control. But in its context here, it is to bring order out of chaos. A taming of the wilderness, not an exploitation of all that God has given us as a gift. And we see in the story that God creates humanity, Adam and Eve, and he puts them in the garden of creation and he tells them to multiply a place that God has cultivated for the enjoyment of humanity in amongst the wilds of the world. They say go, have children and as humanity begins to grow, as the population begins to grow and spreads out from this place, tame what is wild, bring order out of chaos, tend this planet for the Lord, put it to work. And it says in Genesis 2.15, the Lord took man... And put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And now the word work here is a word abad, and it means to work, yes, but it is also a word used for worship. So as we work the ground, we don't just take from it what we what we want, but we work it in service and of worship to the one who created it. And to take care, Shema in Hebrew is to watch over to preserve that sense of watching for signs of trouble to nurture to enable it to flourish this is right at the beginning of scripture this is who you and I as children of God were designed to be now we know about the fall and the place where humanity pulls away from God's design disrespects him, turns his back, turns our back on him. And what was given to us as a gift to steward, to tend and to nurture, became property to fight over, to extract from what we need, to fight wars over, to ensure that we have enough. It was never meant to be like this. And so it is no wonder that the whole creation waits in the eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. You see, our worship, our relationship with God coming into this place and singing our songs is, a, is supposed to affect everything. I'm going to read a passage and uh, I'm not going to comment it, on it. Um, this is a reading from Colossians, a letter that Paul, a great church planter, wrote to churches, and this speaks of Jesus. And just as I read it, I want you to hear or listen out for the echoes of that Genesis narrative, the creation story, and our place as human beings within it. But it goes beyond that and then speaks about who we are. So this is Colossians 1, 15 to 23. were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds, revealed by your evil, selfish behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. You see, our worship affects everything. The gospel is not just so that our relationship with God would be changed and restored. But through that relationship with Christ as our head, the firstborn over all creation, we might live in a way that brings beauty and glory to him. And our environment and the created order is all part of that. And so Christians, you and I, brothers and sisters, should be at the forefront of, of caring for our creation. It feels as if perhaps we as church are running to catch up with something that the world has been engaging with for a little while. We should be exercising our prophetic calling and challenging our politicians as we've already heard from Luke. We should be challenging our big uh, big business and small business we should be leveraging our finances towards eth- ethical, environmentally friendly investments. If anybody has any money left to invest, we should be thinking about how uh, we spend and how we travel. And if we see non-Christians taking a lead in this, if we see people on our planet beginning to wake up to the call that God has placed on us as humanity then praise God but ladies and gentlemen let's play our part so what are we going to do with all of this so I'm going to invite the band up um, and uh, you will see on the stage either side of me that there are some uh, some trees and uh, they've been um, uh, carved out of uh, antler no they haven't they are um, they're trees what we're going to do there are leaves on these trees it's been something that the staff team has been tying uh, tying little ribbons and stuff on to hang on what we're going to do is during this first song as our response is that we're going to come forward and we are symbolically going to take something strip these trees bare a little visual representation to what we as human beings have been doing to our planet But we're going to take those leaves and you may have a pen with you, you might just want to take it home. But what I'm going to ask you to do, in a moment I'm going to read a list of uh, 10 top things. This is from the United Nations website. 10 top things that we can do to help combat climate change. And I want you to listen carefully. Listen out to the voice of God who is here and present and who is concerned about this stuff. What is the one thing that you are going to do on this Eco Sunday? What is the pledge that you're going to make for the change that you uh, can put into your own lives? You may uh, be way further on in this journey than, uh, than I am. Praise God. What's the one little step that you can do more? You may just be starting out on this journey. What is the one step, the one manageable step that you can make? I want you to take those leaves home, make sure that that pledge is written on it, and then put it somewhere significant in your house where you'll see it. It might be next to the thermostat in your house. Who knows? But somewhere where you'll see it and somewhere where it will remind you about what it is that you have pledged. So here you go. This is the top 10 actions on climate change. Number one, spread the word. Not just you, but your neighbours, your friends, your work colleagues. Encourage them to reduce their carbon footprint. Number two, keep up the political pressure. Tier Fund, It's Time to Deliver campaign is about that pledge that the wealthier nations made to provide for those that have not to enable to alleviate some of the suffering that is caused. Number three, transform your transport. A quarter of all greenhouse gas emissions are from transportation. Can you leave your car at home? Can you walk? Can you cycle? Can you take public transport? Can you reduce the flights that you take? Can you rein in your power use? Switching energy providers to those that source their energy from just renewable sources, something that Helen's done in our home. Can you install solar panels, turn your heating down, switch off appliances and lights? Is there something that you can do about the insulation in your house? Can you tweak your diet? 60% of agricultural land is used for grazing and this is a fact that I love and I'm also horrified by that if cows cattle uh, dairy and for beef were a country in their own right their emissions would be the third highest of all countries in the world behind China and the USA when I first mentioned that stat uh, someone said to me I've got children like that shop local buy sustainable and buy seasonal, seasonal vegetables reducing our carbon footprint uh, through transportation and the cold storage can you grow your own there's lots of allotments and uh, people within our congregation that will be glad to give you a hand I'm sure <coughs> a third of food in this country is wasted wasted food accounts for about 8 to 10 percent of global greenhouse gas Emissions. Composting is also great. Number eight, can you dress climate smart? The fashion industry produces 8 to 10% of global carbon emissions, more than international flights and shipping combined. Most of that is in production. Can you plant a tree? If your garden's not big enough, can you plant it in your neighbor's garden? finally number 10 can you focus on planet friendly investments banking and pensions you can ask your bank and they are duty bound to tell you about their responsible banking policies do the research online and you'll know that it is easier than ever to change your bank so let's stand together shall we